Well, hey, Crosspoint, I hope you're having a great summer. And it has been incredible throughout this series as we've had an opportunity to hear from some dear friends and some uh, gifted teachers from all over the country. And today we have a familiar face that, uh, that encompasses both of those attributes. Um, today's speaker needs no introduction, but I'm gonna do my best. He is one of our very own, um, Pastor James Savage is our Dixon campus pastor. And I know they're probably going wild out of Dixon right now. Um, they're throwing small children in the air. They're having a party out in Dixon. And, and James is the host for our uh, Storytellers podcast. And, uh, and he is a, he's a gifted communicator. And what you're about to discover is, uh, is his heart for God and his ability um, to communicate the scriptures. Little known fact, I've known James since he was a little kid. His, uh, he loves that I'm telling you this right now, but his family, um, James grew up across the street from our family. And, uh, and I've watched him grow into a, into a man of God with a, with a huge heart for others. And he loves Jesus deeply, loves his family, his wife, Lindsay, and their two kids, Joanna and Cooper. And I'm so excited for what he has to share today. And I know that you guys will all give him a, a warm um, storyteller welcome as we put our hands together and welcome Pastor James Savage to the platform. We all thank you. As, as Kevin said, I am the campus pastor um, out at uh, Cross Point Dixon. Um, I want to say this uh, to the Dixon community. I thank you. Um, the way that you have loved and cared for my family is like, is like the way that you've loved and cared for so many uh, people who found a home there. And I'm so honored that we get to be on this journey together. If you don't go to Cross Point Dixon, uh, like Kevin said, this is my family. This is my wife, uh, Lindsay, our daughter, Joanna. She'll be five this fall. Our son, Cooper, he'll be two. It is a fun, wild, difficult, beautiful season of life having the little ones at home. One of my favorite things about my kids is that they are really good gift receivers. It doesn't matter what you give them. Get, try this. Give my daughter an empty box and she'll go, this is the best box ever. Some of that is their personality. We are expressive people, the savages. But that's also the season of life that they're in. I bet if we took a minute, everybody here could probably remember the definitive gift or toy that like made your summer. For me, it was this. The early 1990s Nerf bow and arrow. Not bad, still got it. Y'all, when I was carrying this thing, it wasn't like I was Rambo, I was Rambo. <laughs> Ready to defeat any bandits that may be lurking across the suburbs of Atlanta. <laughs> I felt so cool. I would often get in trouble holding this because I would run through the house and shoot things. There was one particular summer afternoon when I was running through the kitchen past my mom who was doing dishes and she did this super, this is a total mom thing. Maybe you've done this before. Where she didn't make eye contact with me. She just kept washing the dishes and said over her shoulder, James, I will not tell you again. Stop running inside the house. Now take that thing outside. Well, there was one thing standing between the outside and me. And that was the screen door which led to our garage. So with every bit of speed that I could muster up, I ran full speed towards that screen door, which was locked. And in an instant, this plastic cone on the front of the bow pierced that screen door. The cone itself made its way to the garage, but it left the rest of the bow in the kitchen with me and my mom. 
And instantly, life reminded me, James, you are not Rambo. Mom is Rambo. <laughs> she said this, this classic line. She, she turned to me and made eye contact and said so calmly yet so filled with authority, James, you put that thing down. You sit over there and wait for dad to come home. Now, I've got good parents, which means they punished us together. My dad was often the one who would deliver the punishment for the crime, but only after consulting with my mom. So it's when she said, wait for your dad to come home, that I thought to myself, oh, I've messed up. And that is not a good feeling to have. Now, I'm gonna be honest, if, I, if this stays out here, I'm gonna play with this for the next 30 minutes. So if I could, if someone, thank you. Yo, this is Chris. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate it. Be gentle, she's old. Take care of her. Um, that's a hard feeling when you recognize that you've messed up. And if I'm being honest, if maybe if we had some more time together, I could share you some other stories of when I've said I've messed up that were less trivial than damaging a screen door. They hit a lot closer to home. I'm sure you have those stories as well. I mean, some of you, you said that to yourself. You said, I've messed up on the night of your relapse. Some of you said it the morning after the affair started. For some of us, it's not a particular moment. It was a thousand tiny decisions that led us down a road that we swore we would never go down. Or for some of you here, you've said that because you know what? You achieved everything that you finally have worked for. You didn't harm anybody. You didn't break any laws. You finally achieved it only to find that you feel no more fulfilled today than on the day that you started your journey. And there's something deep inside that reminds you and somewhere along the way, I think, I think I messed up. The question isn't whether or not we mess up. That's a part of the human experience. The question is, what do we do next? And that's what I wanna talk about today. What do we do after we've messed up? Jesus once told a parable about a young man who messed up and he, ex and he included what that young man did after that. All summer long, we've been looking at these parables, these stories that Jesus would tell that teach us a little bit about who God is, about who we are and our place in the world. And Jesus was telling these parables to a group of people that you could describe as mess ups. You can find this story in Luke chapter 15. Luke is one of four gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all tell the same story, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, but they tell it from four different perspectives. And if you go to Luke chapter 15, you'll see that Jesus is hanging out with mess ups. Luke says that they were sinners and tax collectors, people who were willing to take advantage of other people for their own gain and people who really had no interest in religion or God. Now, listening from a close distance was another group of people, Pharisees and scribes, people who were really good at pointing out the mistakes of others. They were religious elites and could easily see the mistakes in others while claiming that they made few or no mistakes themselves. Okay. Look, I know that we might not know each other, but I bet we can agree on this. The people who claim to be closest to perfection are often the farthest from it. And Jesus tells this story to all of them, to the mess ups and the ones who are pretending that they're not. And he tells it to you and me too. So if you've ever messed up, or if you think there's a possibility that you might in the future, I want you to hear the parable of the lost son. This is in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. 
Jesus says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, I don't know if I can overstate how horrible of a thing that that younger brother just did. What he just did was highly uncommon and highly offensive. It's normal for an inheritance to be prepared for children. What's not common is one of the children, much less a younger brother, to ask for the inheritance early. Essentially, the younger brother has just come to the father and said, hey, dad, I need your things, but I don't need you. So can we go ahead and pretend like you are dead so I can have your things? Highly uncommon, highly offensive, but for whatever reason, the father splits up the inheritance, upends his entire life, and gives the share to the younger brother. And then the story gets a little bit worse. Jesus says that not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. And there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Jesus tells a story about a young man who had everything that he needed, and after taking something that didn't belong to him, or at least not yet, after making his own decisions, after squandering all of his wealth, he found himself separated from his family, separated from his home, having no money, having no food. He got a job feeding pigs, which to you and me might feel like a gross and dirty job. To a Jew in ancient Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, this would have been the most undignified way to earn money because pigs were the most ritually unclean animal. Now, I'm not gonna play the guessing game, but I'll let you decide. What do you think is the most undignified thing that you would do in order to make sure there was belly, food in your belly? But worse than all of that, he had no agency. He longed to feed his belly with the food that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him any because the value of his life had sunk below the value of the pigs that he was feeding. He found himself broken and desperate and maybe worst of all, alone. And if he was gonna be honest with himself, if he were to step back and look at the story that he would live, he would have to admit to himself, it is all my fault. And surely in this moment, he would say, oh man, I've messed up. It's one thing to break something when you're a kid. It's another thing when you've messed up your heart, when you've messed up your relationships, when you've messed up your life. But remember, this isn't just a story about a young man who messed up. It's a story about what he did next. Picking back up in verse 17, Jesus says that when he came to his senses, and that could have been the whole sermon. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. Now I'll set out and I'll go back to my father and I'll say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. Now we can judge the younger son. 
I mean, we can say that, look, he's lying in the bed that he made. He's facing the consequences of his decisions. And we would be right. I mean, he is the villain up until this point in this story. But we at least have to respect this moment. That he was willing to take the hardest step of the journey, which is the first step back home. To face the music. To fess up to what he had done. To throw himself on the mercy of truth. And you and I know how hard that step is because once we finally confessed it, we have no control how the other person is going to respond. And yet something inside of him said, I might not know the value of my life, but it's gotta be more than this. And maybe if I plead hard enough, my dad will at least allow me to be one of his servants on his land. Maybe then I can start paying him back for everything that I've lost. He began to take the steps of that journey, rehearsing that speech in his mind. Dad, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you. Can I be a servant on your land? Well, Jesus says that while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with, look, I want everyone to pay attention to this next word. His father was filled with, in fact, I want everyone to say it out loud. Even if you're at a campus or online, I want you to hear yourself say this word. His father was filled with compassion. Y'all, compassion, not anger, not bitterness, not resentment, compassion. It says that the father was filled with compassion. He ran towards the son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Now the son starts to say the speech that he's been practicing all along. The son said to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But as if the father isn't even paying attention to what the son says, he starts talking to one of the servants. It says, but the father said to his servant, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine who was dead is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now I got to pause and let you know that this is not the whole story. There's an entire other half of the story where the older brother hears about this incredible moment that's happening between the younger brother and the dad. And the older brother, honestly, is not happy about it. But I don't have time to get into that half of the story today, which means you have homework. This week, I want you to read Luke Luke chapter 15, verses 25 through 32. Write this down with pen or with thumbs. Luke chapter 15, verses 25 through 32. Because I want you to see the response of the older brother who feels very self-righteous that he never squandered the inheritance. It will remind you of those scribes and Pharisees who feel very confident in their self-righteousness. I want you to see the brother's response and how the father responds to the older brother. But that's for later on this week. Let's get back to this moment, this incredible moment with the son, the younger son and the father, this this moment of repentance, of forgiveness, of restoration. It's, it's, It's best described with these three gifts that are given from the father to the son. He says, go find the best robe and put it on his shoulders. Y'all, it's likely that the best robe was the father's own robe that is being placed on his shoulders. He says, put a ring on his finger. It's likely that that ring carried the family insignia on it. He said, put sandals on his feet. Sandals were not worn by, um, by day laborers and servants. They were worn by the landowners. They were worn by the family, which means these three items communicated one thing. I reject your request to be a servant on this land because today I'm restoring you as my son. And maybe the best gift of all is he says, he says kill that fattened calf and let's barbecue. Now it was rare to eat meat because how 
rare it was and how expensive it was, but also it doesn't make sense. Why would you kill an entire cow which is gonna feed between 50 and 100 people in order to feed, by my count, a dad, two sons, half a dozen, maybe a dozen servants? Why cook so much food for so few people? Well, it's because it's likely that the party wasn't just for those who lived on the land. It was for the entire village. For the father to be able to invite his neighbors and say, you know that son that I've always told you about that you've never met? He's back. He had this crazy idea that he would earn his way back by being one of my servants. Get out of here with that. This is my son. I'm not embarrassed to call him my son. I treat him as my son. I want you and everyone else to treat him as my son as well. And Jesus paints this amazing picture of the goodness and the grace of God through the story of the lost son. When I was preparing for this message, I read a, a handful of books that talked about this specific moment. And uh, they gave historical background as to the power of these gifts. And there was one book that was phenomenal, but there was one sentence that stood out to me because it wasn't wrong. It just didn't, it, it didn't sit right with me. The author describing this moment said that the actions of the father were astonishing. And I thought, yes, the actions of the father were astonishing. But I think only to anyone who's either not a parent or who has never loved. And listen, if, if you're not a parent or if, if you've never loved, you're still a part of this because I believe that what I'm going to, to describe will be easy for you to imagine. I mean, imagine your feet are in the shoes of the father. And you have two sons. Your youngest son has always been so filled with energy and life, but man, he has always struggled to make a good decision. Trouble follows him everywhere that he goes. And now as a young adult, he comes to you and he says, dad, I know that I've made a mess of things, but I've got an opportunity that's gonna fix everything, but it's in this far off country and I need some money to get there. And you look at him with compassion in your eyes and you say, son, don't do this. It's not about the money I can see where this is heading and it's nowhere good. Please don't do this. And he gets really serious when he looks right back at you and says, dad, I'm not asking for your opinions. I'm asking for your money. So why don't you give me the inheritance and we can get on with it. And you know that he's at an age where he has to learn the consequences of his own decisions for better or for worse. So against your better judgment, you split up the inheritance, you upend your entire life and you give him his share and you watch in agony the next day as he packs up everything that he has ever owned and he leaves. And the next morning you wake up and you come downstairs and there is a quiet in your home you have never experienced before. It's a quiet that screams into your ears. He's gone. And he might not ever come back. You tell your neighbors that, it's, that you're okay, that it, everything's okay, but in deep down inside, you know it's anything but okay. And you tell yourself that you spend too much time looking out that one window, scanning the horizon, hoping to see a familiar silhouette that never comes. And there is an ache in your soul that is hard to put into words because when you are separated from your children or from the one that you love, you feel anything but whole. Now, you might not have had a son ask for your inheritance early, but if you've ever been separated from the one that you love or separated from your kids, you know that agony, you know that ache, even if it's for good things. Because some of you know the pain that you felt when you put the car into drive after dropping your kid off for their first year of college. 
And some of you know that feeling when you held tightly to someone at the security check at the airport and you thought to yourself, I don't have the strength to let go. Y'all, Lindsay and I are gonna experience this in a couple of weeks when we drop Joanna off for her first day of preschool. Pray for us. Even when it's good, it hurts. But some of us in this room, some of us online at our campuses, the story's more painful because the last time that we saw the person that we love the most was during an argument that got way overheated where really painful things were said. And that argument ended with a door slamming in your face and you listening to a car drive down the road. And some of you, some of you know the unique pain of having a child who battles addiction. And I know that you hate yourself for nearly every night having that thought, if they were just arrested, at least I would know where they are. So are the actions of the father astonishing? Maybe, maybe. Are they surprising? No, because I know what you know, that if your feet were in those shoes, you would do the exact same thing. That if you looked up, you saw from a distance the shape of those shoulders that you could recognize from a mile away. You saw the gait of that walk that you had been watching ever since he was a toddler. You would drop everything that you had. You would run as fast as you could. You would embrace him, hug him tight. You would kiss him on his cheek. And when he would start to explain himself and to apologize and say, this is what happened to the money. This is where I've been. You would say, hold on, hold on. That is a conversation for tomorrow. I don't care about the money. I don't care about what happened. All I care about in this moment is that you're Someone once told me that the most important question we could ever be asked is what do you think about when you think about God? What do you think about when you think about God? Because the way that we answer that question determines how we see the rest of life. It determines how we see ourselves and others, how we see discipline and grace and truth. What Jesus taught his followers, including the mess ups, he taught them when you think about God, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about a heavenly father who longs to be reunited with his sons and daughters, especially those who are farthest away. I want you to think about a God who celebrates when they come home. And this isn't unique to the story. If you look through the ministry of Jesus, you see that this is a theme that runs through everything that Jesus said. So much to the point that when he taught the disciples how to pray, if you know the Lord's prayer, he didn't say pray to the divine spirit or pray to almighty creator, although God is those things. He said, pray like this, our father who is in heaven. It made such an impact on the disciples that years later, one of the disciples named John would be quoted in saying, see what great love the father has lavished on us that we would be called children of God. And that is what we are. Jesus painted a picture and said, when you think about God, I want you to think about a good father. Our relationship with him has been broken because of sin. If you go to the beginning of the Bible, you get to Genesis chapter three, you can read the story about how when sin entered the world, it broke our relationships with each other, with ourselves and with God. But the rest of these 66 books that we call the holy and inspired word of God tells a story about how a good heavenly father prepared a way for us to be restored as his children. And this is the moment 
in the sermon when I'm supposed to say, if you. I'm supposed to say, if you. If you have ever messed up. If you want to come back home. If you want to be restored. But I'm not going to say, if you. It's not an if you sermon, because this is not an if you parable. It's a because we. Because we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all have messed up. It's written on the wall of all the Cross Point campuses because nobody is perfect, which is kind of good news. Because if this story is for all of us, that means that each and every one of us are invited to experience the restoration that the lost son experienced. And if you and I want to experience that kind of restoration, I don't know if you've ever had this before. I don't know if you've ever thrown yourself on the mercy of truth, knowing the fear that it might not go how you want it to go. I don't know if you've ever fessed up and faced the music and been embraced with grace and love, being welcomed back into the fold. But the good news is that since this is a story for all of us, each of us are encouraged, welcomed, and invited to experience that kind of restoration. The question is, what do we do? We do what the lost son did. We take a step of repentance. And I get it. Repentance is a tricky word because for many of us, it falls into one of two categories. One, it's a word that an angry preacher yelled at us once, or it's one of those words that only Christians seem to use and no one else does. Repentance at its core, simply put, is just doing what the lost son did. It's turning from where you've been going so that you can come back home. And repentance, it's a special, beautiful thing for Christians. Like we celebrate repentance. We celebrate the first day of repentance and the first moment of repentance. We celebrate that prayer and then the baptism that comes after repentance. But repentance was never intended to be something that we do once and leave behind. Repentance was intended to be something that we experience every day because when we choose to repent every day, then we set ourselves up to experience the restoration that comes on the other side of repentance every day. And if we wanna get really granular about it, it means that every single day you and I are invited to repent by saying every day I'm gonna admit, every day I'm gonna believe, and every day I'm going to act. Every day we get to admit, admit the tragedy of sin. And look, I don't need scripture and religion to convince you of the tragedy of sin. All I have to do is say, let's look around. Let's share our own stories of how we chose our will over God's will and it left us broken and desperate and alone. And admit the role that we've played in our own stories. Now I understand that many of us have suffered at the hands of someone else's sin. I'm not discounting that. I'm just saying there is freedom in admitting the role that we have played in the suffering of our own stories. And then admitting that despite our best efforts, we have been unable to solve the problem of sin on our own in our own lives. Every day we're invited to admit, but then every day we're invited to believe. Believe the gospel of Jesus. Believe that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Believe what Jesus taught about who God is, that the God who hung the sun and the moon and the stars, the God who built up mountains and dug out rivers, says, hold up, I want you to first know me as Father. You look, you don't have to take my word for it. I want you to hear the words of Peter. This is a real man in history, one of Jesus' disciples, years later would be talking to a group of people who were likely a little bit older and likely filled with regret. And this is what he wanted them to believe about who Jesus is. 
Peter says this, he says, he himself being Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For we were like sheep, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Believe that the gospel of Jesus is for you. And as astray as you might feel even today, you get to return to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Every day we get to admit, every day we get to believe, and every day we get to act, which is maybe the most powerful point of the story of the lost son. I'm so grateful that the story isn't about a young man who who looked at the pig slop and said, I've messed up and stayed there. No, it says he came to his senses And he got up and he took the hardest step of the journey, which is that first step back home. And the most beautiful thing is that when he was walking back home, what he saw was his father running towards him. He put his belief into action and experienced a restoration that he couldn't even believe. Today, you and I are gonna have the opportunity to put our belief into action by taking a step of repentance. At the end of this service, we're gonna have prayer teams at the front of all of our stages and prayer teams on the chat, on the online chat. And you're gonna have an opportunity to put your belief into action by coming to someone on the prayer team and telling Jesus plus one. Y'all, I love this. This is an idea in the New Testament that we can tell Jesus plus one. If you want forgiveness from sin, tell Jesus. He has the power to forgive sin. If you want freedom from sin, tell someone else. I'm not saying tell everybody else. Easy with the socials. I'm saying tell somebody else. Because when we tell Jesus plus one, we get to look our sin directly in the eye and say, you are real. You have caused a lot of pain, but you do not win this story. I'm telling Jesus plus one. And if there are details to figure out after that step of repentance, okay, but we will figure it out together. And I will experience the restoration of the lost son because that restoration is for me and it's for you too. And we get to do that every single day by by building a rhythm of repentance into our life. By saying every day I admit, every day I believe, every day I act. Or, or, hear me, or we could not. We could not. You don't have to do any of this. This could be another day where you go to church and I hope, hopefully it's a good church experience. And then when the service closes, you go do the things that you had planned for today. That is an opportunity. That's an option that is afforded to all of us. But be careful because we can get really good at this. We can get really good at doing this church thing. And we can get really good at doing this Christian thing, knowing all the right answers, saying all the right things, doing the right activities, without ever building a rhythm of repentance into our life. The problem with that is that we continue to sin and we continue to mess up because that's a part of the human experience. We start to collect these sins and these mess ups and they become heavy on our soul, which is, I guess technically okay, because we can learn to kind of drag them like a weight tied to our ankle and we learn to kind of move our way through life and limp our way through faith and we tell everyone else what we tell ourselves that, look, this is just the way that it is. And that's an option. But can I be frank? 
Jesus did not live and die and resurrect so that you and I would limp our way through faith. He did so so that we would have life and life abundantly. That story began when he walked out of a tomb and invited us out of ours. And we get to experience the journey with him when every day we decide to build in a rhythm of repentance by saying, I'll act, I'll believe, I'll admit, I'll act, and I'll believe. Now hear me, there may be some things on the other side of repentance that still need repair. When you see the story of the older brother and the younger brother, you'll see that. There was still plenty to be repaired. But that story of restoration begins when you and I daily choose to make the decision to take a step of repentance. And we can figure out the rest together. Speaking of things that needed repair, I still remember sitting in my kitchen waiting for my dad to come home to see the screen door that I had broken. It was like a quarter-sized hole in that screen door, but I was stressed, y'all. I was a pretty happy-go-lucky kid, not on this day. I was really worried, because I knew, I knew, you can't fix a screen on a screen door. We're gonna have to tear the door down. Probably gonna have to tear the house down. We're gonna be homeless, and it's all my fault. I was cycling and cycling and cycling, and then it got worse when I heard my dad's car pull down the driveway and get louder as it came into the garage. I thought to myself, well, maybe I can lessen the blow if I explain the situation before he sees the damage. So I ran out of my kitchen into my garage through the screen door, which was unlocked at this point. And I came up on my dad's car as he was swinging the car door open and swinging his legs out. My dad's a pretty tall guy, so especially with me as a kid, he towered over me. And I wanted to explain the situation, but I started to become overwhelmed with emotion. And I tried to get it out, but as I burst into tears, all I could say was, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Now, my dad had been sitting in Atlanta traffic for, for the past two hours after a day at work and had no frame of reference as to what was going on and was looking at me like, what? Is somebody injured? What's happening? So I walked him over to the, screen door where my mom was standing and she explained this situation. They both nodded at each other and my mom went back inside. Now being a dad of kids who break things, I imagine my dad probably thought to himself, okay, parenting moment happening in three, two, one, go. My dad worked in an office every day, so I remember very clearly his uniform the black tie that was over his white button-down shirt tucked into his black business slacks and his shiny black shoes. Even in that outfit in the garage, he got down on one knee so he could be eye-to-eye with me. He looked up at the hole in the screen door and then back at me, who was still trying to compose myself. I remember he put his hand on my shoulder to steady my breath. He said, James, you made a mistake. Thank you for telling me. Now come inside and I'll show you how to fix it. That afternoon, my dad taught me how to replace the screen, um, the screen on a screen door. What had seemed impossible to me was quite possible to him. He had done it many times before and he would do it many times after. And that evening, we sat down as a family for dinner, and everything had been restored. What do you think about when you think about God? If it's anything less than a heavenly father who longs to be reunited with you, even given the mess that you're in, 
If it's anything less than a heavenly father who would not celebrate that you have finally come home. If it's anything less than a heavenly father that says, look, I don't need another servant. I just want my kid back. If it's anything less than that, then the image that you have of God is not what Jesus taught. And maybe what I'm asking you today is would you consider what Jesus taught? Consider the idea that God longs to be reunited with you, not because of how good or how bad you are, but because he made you as his. Consider the idea that the restoration of your soul just may lie on the other side of the repentance of your sin. And maybe, maybe today is the day that we choose to put what we believe into action. And we invite repentance into our life as a daily rhythm. And look, maybe today you're not staring down some giant monster that you've got to finally confess and get off your chest. Maybe you haven't been dragging some big weight around for a long time. Maybe today you build this rhythm into your life by taking a small step. And when the prayer team come down, comes down front or online, you say, you know what? I'm gonna pick something that feels small. I regularly take the leftovers from the fridge without asking anyone, and that feels kind of selfish. So I'm gonna tell Jesus plus one. Y'all, that counts, Maybe you come down and decide to tell Jesus plus one by saying, you know, my eyes have been lingering on some social media images a, long, a little bit longer than they should. And I wanna repent of that before that becomes a larger problem. Or maybe, maybe today is the day when everything changes. Maybe today is the day when you come to your senses and say enough is enough. I might not know the value of my life, but I know that it's more than this. And I'm gonna take the scariest step. I'm gonna take a step towards the truth. And I'm gonna tell Jesus plus one and I'm gonna look my sin in the eye and say that you are real and you have caused a lot of pain, but you don't win this story. I'm proud of you. I'm happy for you. I think in the best words, I'm excited for you because I know what you're about to experience. That while you take a step towards your heavenly father, your soul and your heart will witness, witness him running towards you with open arms. As complicated as it may seem, you will find what felt impossible to you is very possible for him. And in so many ways, I believe he'll look deep into your heart and say, you're right. You messed up. You made a mistake. Now come inside and let me show you how to fix it. In a moment, I'm gonna pray and then there'll be just a couple of minutes where you and I are invited to live what we believe and celebrate the beauty of repentance. For those of you who are gonna take that time to pray, I celebrate that with you. And for some of us here who are just trying to figure out what all this is, I'm not forcing anything on anyone, but let's at least finish this moment together. Let's pray together before we head out and do the things that we need to do. Let's collectively take a step towards our heavenly father who's running after us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that we don't have to wish that you were good. Thank you that we don't have to hope that you were filled with grace. God, thank you that even truth is kindness. 
And God, thank you, you that you gave us this image so that we would better know who you are. God, would you give us the courage to take a step towards you and to celebrate the repentance and the restoration that you invite us to. Jesus, we pray this in your powerful and in your present name. Oh. 